Dr. Trip Gulick, and Trip is from the Wow Medical Center at Cornell University in New York, uh, where another This is life expectancy data from North America. It really reassures us that our regiments today 
most stunning statistic is the next drop off in the cascade. Of those who know they're positive, only 44% are receiving regular care. That, I thought, was the most astounding findings. So well over half the patients who know they're HIV infected are not getting regular care. The news is better after that. So of those in care, you can see nearly 90% of those who were in care were prescribed ART within 12 months of starting care. And of them, over 70% of people taking ART nationwide have a viral load suppressed to less than 200 copies. So if you can get them into care, and aren't afraid that you've been doing really well, if you do the math altogether, what percentage of Americans with HIV disease are suppressed on current therapy? The number works out to be only 24%. So that's rather sobering when you start thinking about the whole treatment as prevention. Just to try to treat everyone and get people suppressed, we have a long way to go. Again, there are certain groups that were significantly less likely to be prescribed ART to have a suppressed viral and as you can see, African Americans less likely than whites, and women less likely than men. Transmitted drug resistance continues to be something that we think about. And there was an update from the, from the CDC using U.S. national surveillance data. What they did was to look at treatment naive patients with newly diagnosed HIV infection in the years 2006 to 2009 from five states and three cities representing. They defined the recent infection as a documented HIV-negative test within six months versus everybody else who they assumed had long-standing infection. This was one of the biggest studies ever looked at in the U.S., and they had 10,000 people contributing data to their analysis. Of those 10,000 people with HIV disease, newly diagnosed, 16% had transmitted drug resistance. That figure has been relatively stable over the last couple of years. And as you would expect, the vast majority, 84% transmitted resistance had single class resistance. There was no difference, interestingly, either the number of people debating resistance is increasing in the community or decreasing and remaining stable. This U.S. data suggests that it's remaining stable. There was no difference between 2006 all the way to 2009. Those recently in Then they reached out 
together they recruited over 2,000 really young, age 18 to 24. And the study was done in 2009 and 2010. As you can see, nearly 90% of women were black and 12% were Hispanic or Latino. Of those women who completed the study, they found 32 newly diagnosed HIV infections. That's uh, 1.5% of HIV in this population. And when they did the incidence rate, they uh, calculated that was about 0.24% per year, which is five times higher than the CDC's estimate for black women in the United States. And uh, they compared that with 0.24% in some African countries. As you can see, their Congo and Kenya have sim similar zero incidence rates of HIV. This made the front page of quite a few papers across the country. One caveat that I can think of, of course, is that it is a select. So the conclusion from this is that the presence of mild PI mutations on baseline genotype that someone ever treated with radiation really does not impact the hypothesis suppression or the time to biologic failure. Or said another way, it's okay to ignore these minor PI mutations. And you probably will get that in the future. The next antiretroviral agent to be FDA approved will be.
baseline statistics for the study of women in doping was nearly 90% of men and women, so few women were involved. Uh, the baseline viral load was about 52,000 copies. We know the CD4 baseline was a high Here's the snapshot on the left, and you can see both groups did well. 88% of the quad versus 84% of the factors who succeeded in dropping their divided loads to less than 50 by the end of 48. On the right hand side of the curve is the 95% confidence interval, so you see the difference between the responses is 3.6. And then notice the lower limit of 95% confidence interval is negative 1.6. That's quite a distance above negative 12. So that they concluded the study that the quad was not contributing to the impact of space Note at the bottom that CD4 cells increased nicely in both groups, but statistically significantly higher with the quad at plus 239 versus a average plus 2.6. What were the differences between the two contacts? The one was drug resistance, so very few people failed the compound, even regimens, as you can see above, only about 4 to 5 percent experienced failure. And of them, only 2 percent had resistance tests available. But if people didn't fail either of these regimens, they did commonly develop drug resistance. And how along the lines did you expect? So on the left-hand side, if a person failed the quad regimen, most commonly they selected out mutations in the interviews. And you can see the most common was a substitution of position for the Seven of eight of the people with the genotype And along with that, towards the bottom, as you would expect, number one of the B with the high was selected commonly because remember they were also taking FTC. So essentially, people who failed the quad felt both interface resistance and FTC and FTC resistance. On the right hand side, the effect was group exactly what you would expect. So of the people that failed, almost all developed an and several of them also developed the M44 gene, so essentially resistance. The side effect profiles were also different from the two regimens. A fabulous was associated with the typical fabulous related side effects, and these were all statistically significant nausea, abnormal dreams. Sorry, nausea. Abnormal dreams, insomnia, dizziness, and rash were more common with the average regimen. The quad nausea was statistically significantly more common. And as it says across the bottom, hyperpiatin, as I mentioned earlier, was associated statistically significantly higher with the quad compared to the average regimen. Lipids appear to be better with the quad So a different side effect. the companion study, and this was a second phase three head-to-head -head study of the quad, and this time taking on tenofovir FTC and boosted abazanivir, so one of the PI patients according to the guidelines. It's the same design, 700 people equally randomized between the two regiments, stratified by bilingual. It's an international study, and it's the same snapshot of analysis, percent less than 50 in week three and over 12 percent. Again, the population is unique, 90% men, baseline viral load about 70,000, and baseline CD4 about 70. Here's the snapshot, and I apologize, the 
one slide is out of order in the slide set, but it's in there. It's like 24. So everybody did well again. Um, 90% in the quad versus 87% in the executive order that succeeded in suppressing below 50 copies of week 28. Once again, if you look at the 95% confidence interval in the right, you can see it's well above the minus 12. So once again, the quad, non-inferior to an Alexander-based regimen. Resistance to the quad, virtually the same as in the last study. Integrous inhibitors selected and 184B. In the boosted PI regimen, no resistance was selected, as has been seen in multiple prior studies. Tolerability of these two regimens was similar. So these are the big two phase three studies that will support the approval of the quad with l as its base. So when are we going to use this? Okay, the other integrase inhibitor that's one giant step behind is Daltegravir. So Raltegravir, we know it's approved, it's twice a day, and it doesn't require boosting. Elvitegravir, I just reviewed, it's once a day, it requires boosting. Daltegravir has two unique properties. One is that it's once a day, it does not require boosting. And the second is that it's active against many viral strains that are resistant to either So this is a phase two study called SPRING. It involves up 200 patients and randomized them to three dolutegravir-containing regimens versus in light blue and fabric-containing regimen. And you can see from the graph, if you look at two years of follow-up, which is what was presented at the very little difference among the regimens. About 80% of all patients were suppressed In terms of adverse events leading to discontinuation, there were more than 10% in the adverse group versus 3% in the polytegravir And just to make it complicated, dolutegravir also interferes with the transporter, not the same one as Cobacistat, but you will expect to see once again inhibition of reactive secretion, and the serum reactive may go up 0.1 to 0.5 with dolutegravir. Again, not associated with After this phase two was presented to the board, there was a phase three study that came out of a press release of fake data in the scientific field. And it similarly showed in a much larger study similar results to this where Dr. Tinder did just as well as in a fabric-based structure with much different people. We're going to expect to see the formal data presented at the address later this year in NBC. Yes, it will be co-formulated, one pill, a back of your free to see, and dolutegravir all in one pill. Now, why would they pick those three drugs? Oh, right, the same drug company makes all three. So here's a new drug, an investigational agent, GS7340, is a tenofovir pro-drug. Do we need a tenofovir pro-drug? Let's see why they were interested in that. So it turns out this compound is broken down to tenofovir, just like Note the doses here that they tested much lower. So it's not the very genetics that we have once a day. GS7340, you can see the milligrams that were tested in this study about tenfold less 
heavy instrument that's flying. And here's what they saw. So in terms of the primary efficacy point, this is short-term biological response. And you can see tenofovir was associated with about 0.5 log decrease, placebo no change. And then GS7D conformity roughly three quarters to a log decrease. So it does have antiviral activity. Well, I repeat, you really need another tenofovir drug. And here was the interesting so if you look at plasma concentrations, tenofovir, the TDF formulation in light blue, was 10 to 100-fold higher than gs 40 So that new prodrug gets less of the tenofovir into the plasma. So the thinking here maybe is, well, maybe that would lead to less Less in the plasma, but, as shown for you here, greater in the peripheral blood So will this all bear out? Will this protocol have less toxicity than the TDF formulation? Time to tell. Lastly, HIV eradication or cure. So how many people on the planet have been cured of HIV? One, we think. How did that happen? HIV cure can be accomplished by a neurotransplant plan for Delta 32 gene deletion, two transplants on the Delta 32 gene deletion, cytotoxic chemo, transplant rejection, transplant rejection methods, all of the above. I have no clue. Thank you. 
distance meeting recently that was over Earth Day, I found evidence of HIV genome. So some DNA went on in this patient, but it's not clear if that patient's DNA has been controversially revealed out of this. The other thing is it doesn't look like it's really replicated. So this is maybe just fragments of old viral DNA that's just not there. Most people seem to think this guy is cured because he's been many years now. Why do I present this case to you? Well, it's really recharged our whole field to think, well, if it happens once, maybe it can happen again. No one's going to do what we did then to one of our patients, but there are other strategies that can make it stronger. So the first is, what if you just transplant something? How do you transplant their bone marrow? This was tested in 10 patients who got stem cell transplants for lymphoma. This was presented in court. And the bottom line was, none of the 10 were cured simply with bone marrow transplant. So that So many people think that what you have to do is activate a latent CD4 reservoir. Remember, in a person who is taking AMT expressed, they have about a million latent cells in their body. If you can find those cells and activate them and kill them, perhaps that could really be cured. So Dave Margolis from the UNC really led the charge using a drug called Veronistat, which is a proved chemotherapy. Use that to try to target the latent cell reservoir and activate it. And he did this in a small number of patients, five or six to be exact. What you see in the yellow bars is their baseline viral load and the scale. These are all people with viral loads of people on AMT. And then they received a single dose of Veronistat. And shown in the blue bars is what the latent infected cell reservoir did after using that drug. You can see it activated much more viral production from this latent cell. So that may be step number one, although it's controversial. Again, if you can find the latent cell reservoir and activate it and then kill those cells, maybe that would be the most important. In fact, another presentation made that point. So number one is showing activation. It says hypothesis. This is from the NIH. Activating the cell reservoir to, to get it to produce virus. But what they thought was our solution is that you need to target those cells specifically. And this may require specific cytotoxic T lymphocyte response to target the latently infected cells. How would we do that? Well, perhaps a vaccine approach would be good. So, what, what you're seeing here is people beginning to think about this. How do we get those latently infected cells out and keep them pure? The other way that you could do it is to really capitalize on this delta 32 deletion. And so the investigators at Penn really showed a stem cell transplant approach where they modified the CCR5 receptor by inserting the deletion into some CD4s. And they were actually successful in doing that. And what you see here is a whole, it's a handful of patients who had CD4s taken out of pyronesis and then used a vector to find the CCR5 gene and sneak out portion of it so that their cells were not good for the CCR5 receptor, rendering them relatively resistant to it. Uh, they took away AMT from those patients, and what you see here is some of the patients uh, rebounded, and then the one in green actually decreases his viral load off AMT, and this continued 
stop there. That's it. Thanks for your attention. That was Croy 2012. Guidelines help us a lot. Guidelines 
Maybe that's a bit of a health system. Yeah. I don't know. 